Hey everybody, this is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. My co-host, Biscuit Reynolds, is somewhere else in the house. Um, I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. So excited to welcome my friend, Jana, back to the podcast. She's such an incredible astrologer, intuitive, mystic. Um, she's really one of my psychic friends, as I like to call it. And I'm so grateful to have her here at the last time she was on the podcast, it was episode 147 back in April of 2023. Uh, we talked about her background and I really love this podcast to just be an opportunity for everybody in the whole wide world with internet access to explore all of the different ways. There are millions of ways to be a happy, successful adult. I would say billions, but I don't think, um, I don't esteem enough humans that they're doing it. So at least millions of ways to be a happy, successful adult. And um, how she got into her practices and all of that is in that episode. So um, on subsequent episodes, we usually do a little catch up and then dive right in. So I'm excited today to dig into ghost boyfriend, Pisces King, Kurt Cobain's uh, astrological chart and kind of uh, learn things through that. I love um, memoirs of celebrities. I love biographies and I love comparing it to birth charts to kind of see the ways those aspects um, get expressed through people. And somebody with so much Pisces in their chart could have expressed in many, many, many different ways. So he didn't have to be the harbinger of grunge um, the way he was. He could have done lots of things and been very, very successful no matter what. But very excited to share all of this deep astrology nerdy diving with you um and to share jana with you once again the best way to support this podcast is through my patreon page patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash f-k-d-p which stands for fat kid dance party patreon is a membership support site that allows folks like you um in a safe and secure way to support creators like me who make things that are of value to you my podcast is free because i really really want to help people understand how many ways there are to be a happy successful adult um, and I'm out here on the margins of society helping uh, show other margins, right? But um, also, I have a free blog, QueerFatFemme.com, which I'm also just chronicling the relentless pursuit of my joy over the last 15 years. Um, and But I also have things on my Patreon that are just exclusive for folks who are members. I have a aerobics class called Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics, which is for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too much, too fat, or felt too awkward to dance, mine is the supportive class for you. And with uh, the new year, new you stuff coming up in toxic January diet culture, I would love to be a loving and uh, gracious and fun alternative to other people who are trying to sell you ways to change yourself. I want to offer you ways to experience your body with love and care, which is really what I, you know, on my body liberation journey from like hating my body as a teenager uh, and a young adult to learning how to love and cherish my body as an adult. And I want that for you. It's so free on the other side of evicting the cop in your brain that tells you there's a wrong way to have a body. There's no wrong way to have a body. Everybody is a miracle, truly. Um, if you understood all the systems working behind the scenes on your behalf, I think you could feel that. But unfortunately, they invented uh, body shame and body currency as a way to control people, and it's working. <laughs> so I hope that you will pursue alternatives. 
Um, I have on-demand classes that are available at the $25 a month tier, but starting at 10 bucks a month, you can join all my Zoom aerobics classes. Um, I also teach in person here and there, primarily around the Seattle area for now, but I'm hoping to tour in 2024, God is willing. And um, also you can do a one-time thing. You can buy me a coffee or a snack. I don't drink coffee when Tommy won't let me, but you know, you can buy me a snack or whatever, or buy me something from my Amazon wish list or whatever. Lots of links in the show notes about how to do that. And of course, links uh, on how to connect with Jana, who I just think you would be so well-served with her year ahead readings, if that's your bag, or just having an astrology reading with her to understand um, your stars and, and how you can navigate life. One of my favorite ways to think about things is we're going to learn the lesson one way or the other, either through joy or through pain or some hybrid. I have really gone from the pain road where like life had to really life at me in order for me to learn the lesson and, and go the right way or the right way for me, right? It's not one right way. Um, and now I've switch to joy mode, which actually means there's a lot of peace on the other side of joy, which when you're raised in a lot of chaos feels um, uncomfortable. But just because something feels uncomfortable to your body means you're growing, right? So remember awkwardness. This is what we talk about at aerobics is that when you're awkward, you're out of your comfort zone, you're doing something new. And that is where life begins. And I really, really want you to live out your potential and who it's possible for you to be. I hope you enjoy this episode. On with the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Jana. Yay. I'm Yay. so excited. I'm excited too. We're going to have fun today. Um, first, I always love to do business in the front. So will you tell folks how they can work with you and what you offer? Yeah. Okay. So I am an astrologer, tarot reader, Akashic Records reader. I do a variety of divination stuff. Um I am, I mean, I always offer readings and all of the above both recorded readings and also over Zoom, but I'm also offering a few limited time thingalings for the end of the year. So I'm offering 2024 year ahead readings through December 20th, and then also offering a 12th house reading that goes back into storage at the end of the year, and it's called The Portal, and it's one of my favorite readings ever, um, and a couple other things that maybe will come up organically, but don't feel right right now. So yeah. Okay. I had a year ahead reading. I won it through an Instagram.com giveaway uh, and I loved it. And I have to, I thought about listening to it again because you did it on an audio format, which I was so great because I could like, I listened to it probably three times within the first month. And um, I didn't re-listen to it before this because I don't like to necessarily think about what could have been. Uh, yeah. And this year was a lot of what could have been didn't happen, but that's all right. Um but there was like, I remember you did like a card spread for me and you did it quarter by quarter. And then you also did um, a shuffle mancy with songs. And so I got a playlist out of it and like card readings and interpretations. And it was very thorough and really cool. And so I just want to encourage anyone to get a year ahead reading from Jana because it's so good. Um, thank you yeah I love doing them this round does not have the shuffle mancy but I will probably bring that back as like a separate offering at some point yeah but yeah they're available through my link tree and that's on my Instagram at feeling loudly and all my other socials at feeling loudly and down in the show notes too clicky clicky 
Um, what is a 12th house reading? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, okay. So for the astro, not super literate, the houses correspond to various areas of our lives in your astrology natal chart. Uh, the 12th house is a place that can represent like the collective unconscious and the personal subconscious. And it can be a very sensitive place in the chart that contains a lot of mystery. And I like to think of it as sort of the unseen realms. And so often it's like the dream world, like what comes up in our actual dreams, what comes up in our psyche that we might not be aware of. And it can also be a place of inheritance where we get passed down both like the blessings and also the messes of our ancestors. And so in this portal reading, we kind of unpack and discover what's lying within your 12th house. And that can lead to a lot of purging, a lot of stuff that might come up that's more like hereditary and a lot of generational trauma can exist there, but also a lot of magic because we think about like the power of our ancestors and our lineage. And so they had to undergo a lot of stuff, but they also like birthed a lot of beauty and joy and magic. And so we kind of discover what's in there and do divination and astrology. And it's like a very psychic reading, um, just by nature, it kind of has to be. So there's a lot of like fumbling through the darkness and finding the gold. Yes. I really love the psychic nature of your readings, like the way you do card readings and you're very much like into like this is my intuitive read on this versus like this is what the book says yeah yeah I mean I'm a 12th house person I my son and and Mercury are both in the 12th house and so it's kind of the only way that I know how to like approach the world and as a Mercury retrograde natal baby it's like kind of needing to look at things a little bit differently and flip-flop it around to understand it so uh, really looking at things from like an other world perspective instead of just in this limited colonial framework yeah for sure and it wasn't until I started unpacking that stuff that I could actually access the magic in that placement because we try to like be straight and narrow and clear cut and direct and all that stuff can be valuable but it's also magical to just kind of explore the nuance yeah, oh, that's magical. Also, speaking of uh, unpacking, you moved to Boise. I moved to Boise. Yeah. The last time we were on, I was in Austin. I'm in a new state. <laughs> You're a potato queen now. Yeah. The potato is actually one of my top emojis consistently these days. So yeah, it's cool. Potatoes are actually really good medicine this time of year. I just want to give a plug for the potatoes is um, I learned this, I think before last winter, and I really experienced it. You want to eat a little bit of potatoes every day because it's so grounding and really good yes. in the winter time. Totally. I actually had one of my sort of like mentors recommend potatoes when I started channeling too because it is so grounding. So it helps you like earth and stay connected to the roots. So yeah, highly recommend for any intuitive humans who are trying to get right with themselves. <laughs> uh, and I just want to also say, I saw a meme on Instagram.com where they said like, 
what people think being psychic looks like and it's like a picture of miss cleo with like a crystal ball and then but what it actually is and it's one of the olsen twins holding a cigarette and i was like as though <laughs> you could be a working psychic and still be smoking you know like because the spirit will just yeah. keep you release the stuff like you you either release it or it gets forced out of your hand but then yeah. also there's the addition of the things that help to like and some people are like a physical channel. Are you more of a physical medium? Like you feel it in your body or are you more like in the 12th house? Like it's both. Cause I, I'm a Taurus sun and Mercury, but in the 12th and so, and a Taurus rising. Um, and so it's like very visceral for me. Like when I'm channeling for people, if something's going on with their throat, my throat will start closing up. If I like, if I'm experiencing their anxiety, I'll start to feel like the chest, like, um, so it's very physical, but also 12th housey and kind of like out of body ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's cool to think about because it's so different for everyone. And astrology helps us open our minds to all the ways that we uniquely channel and divine. Yeah. And I think some like, for me, I am very much like, I I think I just made the choice. I want it to be easy for me. And like, once I realized how I was taking on people's energy and that I was taking on people's energy, I was like, no more. And so mm -hmm. like, I'm very much like otherworldly. Like I kind of, I'll, I'll credit my South Node in Pisces for this, but I kind of like exist in the other world a lot of the time. And so that's where yeah. my healing comes from. So I don't need it to be corporal. Like my body is my mm -hmm. body for me. And like, I just work to make it an available vessel for the knowing and the vibration of the knowing. But it also mm -hmm. means that like, again, you got to give up to go up. And and this is true. This is just like a success principle. Like you have to give things up in order to level up. And, um, yeah. and it doesn't, I think when you level up, things get better. So it's like, it's a worthy release. It's like trade ups, not trade offs. Mm -hmm. But, oh, yeah. I'm curious too. Like, do you remember the things when you channel or do you forget them? I usually forget, especially if I'm really in it. Uh, like I'll have people sometimes, cause when I do like recorded readings, I'll send them an audio file and then the we transfer link expires and they'll come back around and be like, Oh wait, I forgot to download it. Can you remind me what you said at like this mark? And I'm like, I have absolutely no idea what I said to you. I'm so sorry. But there are times when something really resonates with me as I'm channeling it. And in those cases, if it's a message that was meant for both of us, that will often stick in my psyche. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to it. Um, yeah, it depends, but for the most part, especially if I'm doing like the longer Patreon readings that I do, like the pick a card readings and the Akasha scopes, I generally have no idea what I've said after it's over uh -huh. and I'll go back and listen to it and be like, Oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Oh, I love your Patreon, by the way, uh, and your Discord. They're both great. I want to just hype this for anyone listening who wants to get into the Feeling Loudly universe. Um, it's, a, it's a worth it endeavor. Um, I When I channel, I always remember it. I have this really... Really? I, I have a very blessed memory, and I'm not even taking a memory vitamin right now. Like, um, once I'm, once I have the flow of cash to be taking that memory vitamin, I'll forget nothing. Like, but like, I yeah. have an incredible memory for stuff and like, and I think it's good because it helps me, 
Um, it's funny. The, one of the first affirmations I ever wrote down, like back when I didn't even fully understand what affirmations were, it was like in my 30s. No, it was, I was still in my 20s. And I wrote down, I have as much time to have as many friends as I want. And because mm. I was really like struggling with the balance of working 90 hours a week as a lawyer and like having a social life. And then I got laid off like months later and I was like, oh, I kind of manifested that. But I also really wanted to have a lot of friends. And part of having long-term friends is maintaining intimacy. And I think in many ways, yeah. I'm so blessed to have a great memory because I'll remember important stuff about people that yeah. them know that I they are important to me. So it's such a meaningful quality in a person. It like really makes people feel seen. And that's such a like dupe 11th house Leo thing, like helping your friends feel seen and, and special. Yeah. Love that. Very cool. Okay. So we were just talking about how certain placements in your natal chart and your natal chart for anybody out there who is a beginner astrology, it's just when you arrived on the earth, there was a map of the stars that uh, was above you and below you, right? And so that's what the astrology chart shows you, the map of the stars, which I just think it's like really something, this is a Colin Bedell Queer Cosmos quote, but astrology is not to be believed, it's to be experienced. Yes. And uh, Jana just taught me before we started this podcast that each little planet has its own little um buddy planet that it's 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 ruler so the ruler of my chart is the ruling planet of my rising sign which is virgo so mercury mm -hmm. my, so my mercury and sagittarius is my chart ruler which blew my mind because i always thought my saturn um in virgo was my chart ruler because it's the ruling planet of my sun sign mm -hmm. wow, changed my life um and so that mercury <laughs> sagittarius what rules sagittarius jupiter so then we look to my jupiter and leo um, and then I guess the ruler of my Jupiter and Leo would be my son in Capricorn because son yeah, Leo. Exactly. You you just learned this like five minutes ago, but you based it. Look at look at that Mercury go. <laughs> yes. And now I'm like doing because the the way to really learn something is to apply as soon as possible. And so now I'm never gonna forget this and I'm always gonna be making these little yeah. now we go from the sun in Capricorn and go back to my Saturn in Virgo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then back to your Mercury, back to my Mercury and Sagittarius. Um, yeah. Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. It's very fun. It's very cool. Yeah. Fascinating relationships between all of them. And, and so you have, I, I can't remember what the exact term is, but you have like a loop where it goes around and around. Other people have two planets that are ruling each other. Some people have like a tree and there's one at the top and it says a lot. Yeah incredible i find astrology completely fascinating because it's like it's kind of like the grateful dead it's just like an endless well of like learning <laughs> more and more and like there's an yeah. end to what you can learn and how you can understand it truly yeah you could live many lifetimes and not even get close to conceptualizing all of it yeah and yeah you know why not like i think it's something that has existed throughout time before people got here and after people go like astrology will still exist and um it's it's an interesting thing to continue to explore yeah yeah i am sort of curious after the extinction of humans if our souls will still incarnate here or if they're going to abandon earth and go somewhere else oh I don't know. We could be like single cell bacteria. <laughs> I'm, 
I mean, and rocks too. I think souls incarnate in crystals and things like that. But I also, sure. I kind of think that like my understanding just from my work in the Akashic Records is like that we, the souls like to be together, like plants, like people, they're mm-hmm. social. They want to be together and learn with each other. And so like, if there aren't humans to incarnate in, it'll be less populated. Like, even though we could be amoeba, et cetera, but like the human experiment has been uh yeah from what I can tell yeah I mean I think about like I can't remember what they're called but you know when you have sort of like a group of trees with a mother tree in the center and they're all connected via the root system reminds me of that like these little soul families of all types of organisms that exist and trees being like just as social as we are and far more interdependent and like altruistic um I aspire to have relationships like trees same I aspire to nourish my people in the same way that trees nourish one another yeah 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 okay let's talk about Kurt Donald Cobain all right Um, I was telling, I, I like to joke that Kurt Cobain is my ghost boyfriend. Um, and by joke, I really mean it, but it's just, um, how I love to experience the world is, um, you know, I've been single a long time. Why not have ghost boyfriends? And by that, I mean, like in this era, you can just deep dive on somebody and like, there's so much information on the internet. There's so many YouTube clips. There's so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I made a joke that this is my Mercury and Sagittarius just directing my life. I made a joke that Prince Rogers Nelson was my real dad. And then I was like, well, actually, and like, I just have been deep diving him ever since. And like, I've learned a lot about being an artist and how to esteem my work and how to be Uh, misunderstood for a really long time and like be willing to release something when I'm ready to versus when I think it's going to be popularly received and I respect so much about how Prince like ran his business and his art and um the same with Kurt Cobain like I made a joke that he was my ghost boyfriend and I was like well you know he's age appropriate now for me (laughs) because he he was the first person I ever loved who died via suicide and um so but he was much much older than me like I was I think 12 1992 13 13 when he passed so yeah anyway let's talk about Kurt Cobain's incredible birth chart oh my god Pisces king uh I also want to toss in that he in addition to having all of these planets in Pisces. He has the Sun, Mercury, Venus, and Saturn all in Pisces. He also has Chiron in Pisces, which is sitting like right on his descendant. And it's not visible in this one, but it would be right there where your cursor was. Yeah. On that descendant line. Wow. Um, it's and it's conjunct his Venus. Yep. And I think that's possibly why you can't see it just because it's conjunct as Venus. So it's like tucked away. Um, Wow. So what does Chiron conjunct Venus mean to you? And conjunct, for those who don't know, just means it's within six degrees. So those planets are really talking to each other. Yeah. So they're around the same degree in the sky. And in this case, yeah. So where you see that, that bold line on the right side, that's the descendant 
It's the opposite of the ascendant, which is synonymous with the rising. So that's his rising sign over there in Virgo. And then like directly me. opposite. Yeah, like Bevan. And then directly, we both actually have wild synastry with Kurt Cobain. So we should talk about that at some point. But yeah. um, so his descendant in Pisces, which is the opposite side over there, has to do a lot with your relationships, especially with your one-on-one -on -one close relationships. And it can often represent like the other in your life, but kind of also the qualities that we project onto other people that we possess within ourselves. And so for Kurt, which I'm going to affectionately refer to him as, Kurt had his Chiron like unbelievably close to his descendant, which means that a lot of pain came through his closest relationships. And because Venus is there, Saturn is there, Mercury is close by, a lot, a lot of tension when it comes to projection and the sort of expectations that were placed upon him to kind of be everything to everyone and to simultaneously kind of like be idealized and then idealize other people. And with Pisces placements like that, with so much Pisces, that can be a real struggle. And also dissociation and addiction and um, just like escapism can can be a really ongoing challenge for people with with heavy Pisces. So we saw all of that in him and a lot of pain from the time he was young in his closest relationships and kind of like what they expected of him. I would say my best advice to people with strong Pisces placements is to figure out who you are and do it on purpose. I mean, that's good advice for everybody, but for Pisces specifically, the 12th sign of the Zodiac and Pisces contains everything. So a Pisces can actually be quite great at whatever they put themselves in. Um, and like, yeah. I, I want to also really speak to people who have Saturn and Pisces right now who are going through their Saturn return. Um, another great Saturn and Pisces is Tupac. Like Tupac was so multi-talented, right? Like could have done anything. And like, it's so important to have a strong understanding of who you are. Cause like Saturn is your planet of boundaries. And so when you have like a container that can contain everything, you choose what the container is. And um, something that I have found a very potent practice for me as a Pisces South node, cause I can get, I can be great at anything and that also means that I can people please up the wazoo. I can just be who whatever, like I, I went to law school yes. and like now I, thinking about practicing law makes me want to vomit, you know, like, yes. so it's like a good reminder that you have to figure out who you are and um, Google or Riki, um, uh, Lovey, Ajaya, I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, Ajaya Jones. Anyway, she wrote this great book called the uh, fear fighters manual the professional troublemaker the fear fighters manual it's chapter one she talks about your oriki but she also has a good blog post about it so you can just look it up it's o-r-i-k-i and it's a nigerian practice of declaring who this child is and you get it every year on your birthday but i would say she and she she suggests this in her book is that to just um, figure it out for you, like who you are and declare that over yourself every day. And so I started that practice. 
Um, it took me like a month of fumbling and this is me getting through my Virgo rising perfectionism to like be willing to like not be sure that I'm getting it right until I finally settled on, oh, this is what, this is who I am. And this is what I want to posit myself as. So I declare it to the oldest tree in the woods every day when I walk through. And when I'm not at home in my woods, then I go and I declare it to another land somewhere. But I think it's a good practice to introduce yourself to land spirits. Um, and it's a good practice to remind yourself who the F you are, because especially with these strong Pisces placements, like you could float everywhere and be anything to anyone. And I can imagine the incredible pressure that Kurt felt um, having all this projection on him and having all this possibility yes. in him. Yes, 100%. And like to add to that, um, like personally, I'm a Venus and Mars and Pisces and my Venus and Pisces is my chart ruler and as a Taurus rising. And I, I have, <laughs> so my, my Venus is conjunct Kurt's Venus and Saturn. And I will say that like the resonance of those placements of the later degrees of Pisces and anywhere in Pisces is that you you can contain infinity you can contain everything and definition can be so hard that it causes you to recoil into yourself and lose yourself in that process and so like that importance of grounding like the polar sign being virgo mutable earth which like still brings in that mutable changeable nature but it's rooted in the roots it's rooted in the soil it's rooted in the herbs and so for a lot of Pisces people, leaning toward Virgo can be so supportive because it kind of creates a framework and Virgoan practices like herbalism and like caring for the body as a vessel can be like, you know, difficult to cultivate because Pisces wants to float off into the ether and that's comfortable, but that grounding presence can be incredibly special and really life-saving yeah so I would say yeah. the same opposite advice to Virgos is leaning into the Pisces dreamscape and uh leaning yes. into the fantasy leaning into a you know a little Delulu is the Salulu you know like <laughs> let it be yeah. fun and dreamy and possible versus like it has to be right and perfect Absolutely. Yeah. There's that expansiveness and like the, I keep leaning over because my little adapter is still being funky on me and I'm trying to charge my computer so it doesn't die as we're speaking. So apologies <laughs> if you hear that annoying noise over and over again. <laughs> um, but ah, here, let me, let me just get this figured out. Oh my God, Mercury is so, so retrograde. So retrograde. <laughs> I'm using my like little oil diffuser to try to like prop it up at the right angle. So it, ah, it worked. Okay, there we go. Um, Yeah, so there are solutions to every problem. Very Virgo, but yes. um, Yes, Virgo leading into the Piscean expansiveness can be so helpful because Virgo can get so kind of lost in the details and lost in the literal at times, like very mercurial. So it's beautiful. I love this axis. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so let's talk about trines. You said the the amount of trines that he had in his chart led to more addiction. And that's the blue that we're seeing on the chart. For those of you who are listening, yeah. we're looking at Kurt Cobain's chart. But for those of you who have a chance to peek at the video, you can see the chart as we're talking about it. Yeah. So when we say trines, those are basically the angles, 120 degree angles between planets in the sky. And they're typically known as being more harmonious. When we think of trines, we think of this sort of like, like reciprocal, lovely conversation between two energies. But we also think about like how flow can enable gushing and how the flow of energy between planets can enable something to just keep going and keep going and keep going kind of on its own. And so when we see all of these, I mean, he has what's called a kite, which is in addition to having this huge grand trine where we see a big blue triangle in the chart and it's really beautiful. It also has this little hat on top of it, which is that extra little triangle. And so that forms a kite. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful aspect uh, to see in a chart. And many artists and visionaries have kites in their chart. Um, but with like so many planets trining one another, you see the richness of the talent and the gifts. Like, this is a absolutely brilliant and you know, multi-talented person who contained, contains so much. And really, really, really difficult time with boundaries, with being able to kind of like shore up the foundations of his life. And so, so energetically sensitive. And when you put someone in the public eye, and when you put someone in situations that sort of demand their presence and energy and creativity, you think about what that can do to a human. And you know, obviously Kurt Cobain struggled with addiction for most of his life and died at the young age of 27. And like, was it 27 or 28? Um, and so like, we, we saw so much of, of him trying to kind of escape the pressure of the reality that he was facing while also confronting it consistently. Pluto, Uranus on the ascendant, like such a revolutionary too. I was going to ask about that Pluto and Uranus on the ascendant, because what does it mean when there is like a planet on the ascendant or near the ascendant? Yeah. So with planets on or near the ascendant, that often means that like that energy is really visible in us. Like we really embody it because the ascendant is very much about kind of our embodiment, our presence. It's literally connected to the body. So often we'll sort of take on physical characteristics that are captured by that sign. And so when you throw a planet on there, that adds that to the mixture. So if you see yourself as this like melting pot of ingredients that spirit is mixing together, they like throw in an extra heaping dose of Pluto and Uranus into the formation of who you are and how you come across to people. And so the ascendant is very personal and people often think of it as like a facade that we wear, but it's, it's truly not. It's really a sort of like vibration and energy that we embody. And he has Pluto, which is, I, I'm someone who 
works with Pluto very deeply and my astrology is very Plutonian. Pluto is a powerhouse. It's impossible to ignore when you meet a Pluto ascendant person. They often has a, have like a very captivating presence. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of power that may sort of radiate from them. They like, I'm getting chills as I talk about it, which always happens with my little 12th house. I start talking about something and then I feel it all physically. And so I can feel it. Like I can feel his presence and it's very moving. It has a very powerful, evocative sort of cathartic effect on you. And if you've watched him perform live and seen the energy that he embodied on stage, you can sort of see that. But I think probably you had to really meet him in person to truly kind of feel that energy. Um, it's unmistakable though. And then with Uranus, a change maker, revolutionary, radical, rebel, iconoclast, he embodied all of that. He was constantly rejecting the norm and sort of rejecting the demands that were placed on him in both like powerful revolutionary ways and in really destructive ways. And so a lot of like shadowy material from both of those planets, but we can see if you're looking at this with us, you can see just like how visually powerful that Pluto and Uranus is with the opposition that it's forming to his Venus, to his Chiron, to his Mercury and to his Saturn. There's just a lot of tension and a lot, a lot of power. It's almost like, because these are outer planets, um, uh, having that tension with his inner planets right like the planets that really make up um because the inner the planets that are closest to the sun move a lot faster and like the outer mm -hmm. planets are more generational um mm -hmm. and it's interesting that like his um you know larger generational sort of placement is the opposite intense to like all of this like very intense personal stuff for him yes. um i've been listening to this really great interview with courtney love um it's like a podcast. I think it's called like hits of the nineties songs that define the nineties. It's about smells like teen spirit. And she's talking about with the host about how he held himself back from pop, even though he kind of wanted to do pop, you know, like there was like some energy in that where he wanted to do, he could have like with all this talent, like he yeah. could, there are certain songwriters and you know other people right like who can connect like other creators who can connect into like the pop sensibilities and wield that in that way and I would say like also um Taylor Allison Swift with her Pluto in the first house like also kind of wields that Plutonian um archetype where like her presence mm -hmm. is so captivating for people and I'm curious mm -hmm. too if that energy was felt um if that energy could be felt like if it had to be like a one-on-one -on -one interaction or if it could be like from stage, like in an 80,000 person arena, if you could feel his energy in that way. And oh, totally. <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. The reason like to clarify, you can, you can, you can feel people's ascendant, even if you're not in person with them at times, but it just tends to be a little bit more personal and kind of IRL. Um, whereas typically our mid heaven, the top of our chart up there is what's most sort of like publicly visible. And so often that's like our reputation, how we're seen by people who don't know us personally. 
And then the ascendant tends to be a little bit more personal. So it's kind of like your online identity versus like your in-person identity is, is a really reductive way to explain it. But like that, that identity that's also contained within the ascendant is going to translate. It's going to echo, it's going to show up in so many different places and kind of embody his style too. And I think like, you know, him being such a symbol of like the grunge era and, and representing like Gen X in so many ways is really captured by that, that Virgo energy here. Um, and Pluto and, and Uranus on the ascendant is like, to me, the epitome of kind of like grunge vibes, uh, kind of defying going up on stage with like oily long hair, disheveled and like ripped jeans. And, and then suddenly everyone in his generation kind of wearing the same clothes and doing the same thing. And I think like, I, don't know, I could, I could keep going on this, but it's, I think that style is so loud and you can feel the collective impact that he had just by showing up with authenticity, showing up truly as himself. And I think even like in his, in his letter, in his final letter that he left, he, I can't remember the exact words and I could probably find them, but he said something about how that was what sent him over the edge was like not being able to own that sort of authenticity and not being able to be true. And that feels very Pluto Uranus on the ascendant. Is there anything in his chart that speaks to like a short time on earth? Mm. You know, I think, yeah, of course. I'm a little bit hesitant to speak on it because touching on on death specifically in people's charts can be scary for people. Um, and I'm I don't want to like, I'm a Scorpio moon. Let's talk about death. I know you're not scared, <laughs> Bevan. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. Um, but it can be, it can be triggering for people. And I, I am a little hesitant to speak on it and have people like run to look at their own charts and be like, Oh my God, I'm going to like die early or something. Cause it's just not how it works. It's, it's too simplistic. But I will say that he has his North Node in the eighth house, which is a place of death in the chart. It can be connected to the other side, to a relationship, to the dead and to the unseen. Um, also just Pluto being a planet that has a lot of death energy living so close to the ascendant and then Uranus too, which can represent suddenness, often like sudden endings, having so much of that. I, I suspect if we were to look up his death chart, probably both of those planets would have been activated by transit or there would have been something going on with his eighth house or with his North node. Um, so yeah, often often we'll see something trigger an event like that by transit, by like the position of the planets in the sky and how they're impacting our natal chart. I have a friend who lost her son. Uh, her son became an ancestor at like 24 um, during Capricorn season and he was an Aries, but uh, she says like the way he feels after as he 
transition to an answer he feels like a capricorn now and so i really am into like the death chart and the birth chart and like how ancestral yeah. energy can come through based on when you exited the realm too um and i also like i just have so much in common with kurt like my chiron is in a similar placement in the eighth house as his north node um mm -hmm. and so oh, i find it also fascinating um what are some defining characteristics of the generation of Pluto and Virgo? Yeah, uh, so Pluto and Virgo, it's it's challenging because, okay, let me not start there, <laughs> going into the Virgo place. <laughs> so Pluto and, and Virgo, they're kind of like younger boomers, right? Like they they like pull up the the backside of the boomer generation. And in many ways, I think for a lot of them, their parents were the Pluto and Cancer generation. And so that was the silent generation, as they're known. Um, a lot of suffering related to war and like kind of the recovery from World War II. And the Pluto in, in Virgo generation often was sort of like born into the role of helper and found themselves in roles of like compulsory healers or helpers or assisters and in many ways had to do a lot of recovery work for like generations and it, and it could you know you could even use the word like codependency here like there was a lot of like codependency that was sort of like culturally encouraged in their generation and also I think like <laughs> leading into a lot of the like more like hippie 70s vibes era stuff they grew up in a time when there was a lot of experimentation around like drugs and around like the way the culture was shifting and how they were supposed to embody a certain kind of role and it's so just like as a personal note i have my natal pluto in the sixth house which is very archetypically connected to pluto and virgo and it for me has shown up in a similar way where I feel like I've lived a lot of lifetimes and I've been in a role of healer and helper without being without being given the opportunity to, to opt out. And that's been like a past life story for me, like being in servitude, being in positions where I had to like hand over my freedom in order to aid someone else. And so a lot of the time, this generation will struggle with that. Um, but there can also be a level of sort of like absolutely unrealistic expectations that they've placed on themselves and the people around them to embody something, to embody perfection, to embody like a cleanliness and a sort of order. Uh, and so when I, I say compulsive, because Pluto can be a very compulsive and obsessive energy. And so it casts a lot of focus on those energies in the personal life and in the collective. Mm -hmm. So like, if you know people in this generation, you might recognize that a lot of them can have more like perfectionistic or controlling tendencies and that comes from a deep desire to like have things be right in the world and a lot of fear around having to kind of clean up the messes of prior generations and the people around them and all of that. Um, so there's so much more to it, but like, that's, I think 
at least a decent entry point to understand that generation. And with Kurt having that Pluto on his ascendant, you can really feel how that generational experience impacted him really heavily at a personal level. Um, what does Uranus conjunct things do to that planet's energy? Does it just throw a total chaotic spin on everything? It can for sure. Yeah, I think it depends a lot on the mixture, but with Pluto and Aquarius, there's a real explosive energy. It's like we throw together like an atom bomb and like fireworks and see what happens kind of thing. (laughs) And (laughs) it's like big, like sort of mad scientists in the lab, like just seeing, seeing what happens. And so that sort of experimental um definitely more reckless definitely like accident prone and not it's not it's not cautious i will say that and so that's a unique combo because virgo by nature is a more cautious energy is a more like thoughtful energy but when you throw pluto and uranus in there it's like i set up i i like perfectly set up the lab and now i'm just gonna like throw the fireworks and the bomb in and like see what happens so a lot of tension for sure. I find it also fascinating. Okay, let's talk about this Mars and Scorpio. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. How do you feel about this Mars and Scorpio? Well, I think about like, so a lot of times with songwriters, I look at their Mars sign because I feel like that's how they energetically connect to their fans. Um, so like, you know, we were talking about this before we started recording, like, um Dolly Parton has this Mars in cancer and so she's like a prolific songwriter but she really does engage with her fans in a very specifically mothering energy right and like this is how I want to help you feel your feelings this is how I want to help you do this and like um Billie Eilish uh Sagittarius Queen has a Mars in Pisces and she has a very 12th house interaction with her fans that is a psychic connection that she shares with her fans it's just so clear to me um and so like taylor has mars and scorpio which is another very psychic sign um and very deep and i just you know i watched her eras tour and like how she like uses her little witchy fingers like in her witchy finger movements like literally channeling the energy in this 80 000 person stadium like this is a person who's using that energy very intentionally. So I feel like, and I'm also curious, like what it would mean to be second house Mars and Scorpio. Yeah. So yes to all of that. Mars is at home in Scorpio traditionally. That means that uh, Mars is the planetary ruler of the sign of Scorpio. So it's sort of in its vibe in Scorpio and can at times have an easier time expressing its Martian energy there. Um, He, Kurt, also had Mars squaring Jupiter, so that makes everything bigger. And there was definitely like a profound presence of his Mars in Scorpio. This can be a very prodding, provocative energy. Mars and Scorpio is motivated to go to the depths, motivated to kind of upturn every rock and look at like the soil beneath it and look at the dirt and get in there and kind of look at the grime. 
And so you could feel that in his music, you could feel that in the way that he highlights collective shadows and brings attention to sort of like the nastiness and being this like, you know, grunge era music too, really, again, like very revolutionary. And so I think the Mars in Scorpio in concert with his Pluto and Uranus on the Ascendant created a very just, I keep wanting to say provocative, like I'm going to force you to look at the shit. I'm going to force you to kind of see what's, what's happening. And it's also trining his son in Pisces. And so, whereas like when we think about son in Pisces and like a very Piscean person, we don't think of them necessarily as like pushy or provocative in the same way, but there's a relationship between those two planets that creates more of like a look at me, like see it, look at it kind of energy. And it's, yeah, <laughs> like he's a deep guy. There's like no avoiding that. There's a lot, again, just power, a lot of power and a lot of also like submission in this chart. And I think that he probably was in many ways, kind of like fighting between those two energies for a good part of his life. Mm -hmm. I, it, to go back to my death question, I definitely would look at this chart and say overdose. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know he chose to end his life, but like it, to me, just all this Pisces, all this like very like watery, like Cancer Moon, you know, like Cancer Moon, also. Yeah. Taylor Swift, um, you know, like that is to me, like wanting to numb out and dissociate, like both like, as a cosmic explorer and also as just a reckless, you know, water sign, you know, reckless Piscean uh, energy specifically, like that mutable water, like, mm -hmm. and it's hard if you don't have strong influence in your life, like building you up. Um, the critical Virgo part of the Virgo rising, because Virgo rising, like, um, you know, every sign has its like benefits and detriments. And as someone with a Virgo rising and a lot of Virgo energy, like it is compulsory for me to beat myself up, like, because I, mm -hmm. I demand perfection in, on, in a core part of my personality. But I also like, having really worked on it you know what I mean I recognize okay well my thoughts are my choice and so I'm not going I know I can't beat myself up to success I have to build myself up and so but I can imagine yeah. with all that Pisces and he was so young still too like all that Pisces with this um the Virgo rising energy like so hard definitely yeah and especially having Pluto on the ascendant and Chiron on the descendant mm -hmm. Those are two of the most painful archetypes that we have in our chart. And he had them directly on his ascendant, descendant axis, which like also it means that his pain was so visible, like, you know, it was inescapable and people could see it written all over him. And you think about what it's like to carry a wound in that way and to be like, so like he probably felt naked his whole life in like a very visceral way. And so you can understand why someone would seek to escape and would seek to kind of hide from that when it felt like it was probably swallowing him. 
Yes. And I would also say too, like with the conjunct Chiron with the Venus, it's like mm -hmm. what can be really hard growing up in colonialism is this idea that we're all supposed to be the same and feel the same. And when I started to understand astrology and understand, oh, Scorpio men, Scorpio Venus, like I'm actually a deep diving mermaid. And like, I feel yeah. things so much more intensely than a regular person that like, I'm like, oh, I get it. Like I kind of, uh, high key jealous of like, you know, Gemini moon, Aquarius moon people who like, <laughs> I think I feel, you know what I mean? Who can kind of really separate themselves from their feelings because I exist in my feelings. I'm swimming in my feelings. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very different experience and like cancer moon for, for, for tea, <laughs> uh, which is relatively unaspected. I mean, it is like, it's, it's trine. I think it's this mercury that it's trine. And then also we can't see the South node on here, but it's also trine his South node in the second house, which is pretty close to his Mars um but there's again like fluidity like a cancer moon technically is the moon is um is at home in cancer and domicile and then trying mercury like he had the ability to probably express his emotions we know he did in these very fluid ways but also i just feel like it was like the cup sort of runneth over and not in like the most comfy way a lot of feels. Yes. Okay. I want to just pause real quick and pull up the transits uh, on his departure date, just to look at that and see what that. Okay. 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 Here okay. we are looking at, because my astro friend, um, Jana is even better than me. I was like, wait, how do I show transits from a different date? That's not today. And so here we are, transits as of the date of departure, just to see what might have been triggering in the chart. Um, oh, and you can see the Lilith on this version too, which I do love a good Lilith conversation. Yeah, it's a, this, it's a little bit noisier because I have some extra stuff in here. But yeah, and I do, again, just want to reiterate, like, as we talk about this, this is not like if you experience this transit, that means you're going to die. It no, doesn't mean that like the people... This in your life we're going to experience that yeah. I just death is like a very sensitive topic when it comes to astrology especially so yeah. um understand that this is a different person living a different life under different circumstances with a totally different chart um I also want to say this about death too is that something that has brought me great comfort in losing so many loved ones is I really do think that our departure dates are kind of set and like it's not like it's you're gonna go on December you know 14th 2023 like I mean like there's a window and like but we can sometimes extend the window based on a willingness to continue learning um and so I just want to say like there's infinite possibilities of how things can go out that's part of why God is thrilled and excited about us and our free will choices is because we're going to take this birth chart and like express it however it wants to express and we're going to intersect with other people and express in those ways and so there's a fluidity to it. So it's not like, I mean, I had a, a very good, very powerful psychic friend predict my mother's passing this summer. And it was very much affected how I emotionally interacted with her. 
but it also um, didn't happen. My mom is still alive and kicking. I'm so grateful. So like, um, it's because it's just possibilities. It's not like set in stone. And my mom did make an incredible learning um, and changed, I think, a little bit of her trajectory. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that actually brings up a whole other side to this, which is like, sometimes when we see a death chart and another person that could represent a metaphorical death that could represent an ego death that could represent yes. the death of something else in their life because death is not simply like the end of your corporeal breathing pulsing life on this earth <laughs> and like we all experience like what you might call death transits and often it's a time where we're meant to shed something to shed an old version of ourselves a way of life a belief a habit whatever a person um, and sometimes it is actual death and like that happens too. We all die. Uh, but like what I, this is the first time I'm looking at this. So I need a second to kind of integrate it, but I did suspect that there was going to be eighth house stuff happening. Uh, Venus, Lilith and Vesta were all moving through his eighth house. Oh yeah. Uh, potentially on the day of his death, which is like sus. We don't know it for sure because his body was discovered probably a few days after he ended his life. Um, the sun was about to enter his eighth house and had just crossed over that whole stellium that we see in Pisces. And we know that like days before, weeks before he had gone into rehab on March 24th, 1994. And then it was supposedly around April 5th that he ended his life. And it would have been in the days leading up to that, that he was experiencing the activation of all of that seventh house material. And so I imagine he was coming off this period where a lot of stuff had come up. Um, we also have Mercury was almost exactly conjunct his descendant on that day. Mm. And I think I'm having trouble seeing, but it looks like Mars was too. So Mars and Mercury on his descendant, he, it was believed that he both like, um, overdosed and also shot himself and Mars is a planet that represents violence and is associated with guns and gun violence and so having Mars and Mercury on the descendant around that time kind of makes sense and especially the fact that it was activating Chiron which is a deep wound and opposing his Pluto and Uranus, which is very sudden mm. and very intense. And so, yeah, like, I think there was a lot that spoke to that. And we also see that the North node was conjunct his Neptune down here, which can be a very dissociative experience. And so that to me also captures the, the fact that substances were involved and that he was um, experiencing an, a really big upsurge in, in substance use and, um, had just come out of rehab and all of that stuff where he was there, I think for like 36 hours or something. So the North node draws us towards something that we're meant to be experiencing and learning about. And in this case, it had a lot to do with his Neptune, a lot to do with the more like maladaptive 
coping mechanisms of escapism and um, not easy. And there's so much more here, <laughs> but that's like just basic stuff that I see upon first looking at it. Also, like something I know about him is that he had really intense tummy troubles, like incredible yeah. tummy pain. And that is a hallmark of a strong Virgo placement is tummy trouble. Yes. Yes, totally. I think it was going on for years, right? Like mm -hmm. inexplicably. And that's one thing that he used heroin for was was to try to suppress the constant pain that he was in. Yeah. And I um let's talk a little bit about his natal Lilith too. Like um what does Lilith in Aries tell you? Yeah, so Lilith and Aries in the seventh house, <laughs> more provocative energy. Lilith is a provocateur in nature. Lilith can show the places in our lives where we really need to like free ourselves from the shackles of oppression and to move toward liberation. Lilith has been reclaimed as sort of like a feminist icon in many ways and a symbol of of like women's liberation. Um, and you can dig into the mythology behind Lilith to learn more. But in the seventh house in Aries, there's a lot of like a deep need to individuate and a deep need to, like you spoke to earlier, finding a sense of self that is not hinging upon the projections of other people. Um, Lilith and Aries, just like right on the backs of that huge Pisces stellium feels like and yet I need this. And yet I need to reach toward liberation from sort of the oppression that I feel from the people in my life expecting me to embody anything that they want me to be in this very chameleon-like Piscean experience. And so I think like, you know, Lilith, I'm sorry, Aries is also associated with the head. And that feels relevant here for some reason. I'm not sure if he, uh, I'm not sure if he shot himself in the head. I don't know what the details were there, but it looks like his Lilith would have been activated just within that time period too. Um, not on the day, but within that sort of window of time from like early March to April. So there's a lot here. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Saturn return. Cause like he was in his Saturn return era, right? Cause Saturn was back in Pisces and Saturn uh, returns through your chart every 27 and a half years or so. Uh, Saturn returns such an important uh, learning era for people. And one of my favorite ways to describe Saturn um, for a chart is it's like the crone energy, like you on the last day of your life with like all the wisdom of experience coming back to you at 27 years old, showing you the ways that you're fucking up and like making that stuff fall away. My Saturn return was like a bomb going off in my life because I also had a Pluto transit. Um, and I, I think my Saturn return was harder than most, but um, it is, I mean, that's why they call it the 27 club. Uh, a lot of great artists yeah. is out um, in their Saturn return. And so I don't fully know the the logistics of Saturn. So would he have already had Saturn hit the same but uh degrees or no. not yet not yet no so his saturn his natal saturn is at 2044 of pisces and saturn was around eight degrees of pisces 
um, around the time of his death. And so Saturn had recently passed over his natal sun in Pisces, which was at one, like almost two degrees of Pisces. And so he would have been feeling that for sure. That would have been probably an identity crisis. It would have been showing up as a need to like restructure his sense of self and to actually firm up his identity and to create boundaries. And that is a very challenging ask of someone with this much Pisces in their chart, especially in the sixth house and seventh house. Um, what was happening is that like, Saturn was in his sixth. And so there was a lot of focus on the body. I'm not surprised that like his, I think his stomach issues really crept up in the lead up to his death. And Saturn was also pretty close to being opposite transit Chiron at the time. So there was also like a collective wound that was being highlighted and sort of pressed on just in the sky for everyone. And for him, I think it may have landed for him just more so because of just his, the significance of both Pisces and Virgo in his chart. Um, but the Saturn return, like technically, technically your Saturn return is not until transit Saturn in the sky is within like a handful of degrees of your natal Saturn. But I will say that a lot of people start to feel the impact of the Saturn return well before that. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it's as soon as Saturn enters the sign that their natal Saturn is in. That was my experience. Like I'm a Saturn in Capricorn. And as soon as Saturn entered Capricorn, I really started like feeling it, even though my Saturn's at like 27 of Cap. And so that can happen. And especially if you're like archetypically really connected to that sign, like he is really connected to Pisces. I I would definitely venture to say that like he was feeling his Saturn return big time, even though it was a ways away for him. I will also say my tummy troubles uh, began in my Saturn return and I don't really think your Saturn, I was so, once I learned what a Saturn return was while I was having, it was my first real introduction to astrology. I mm -hmm. was like, I can't wait for this to be over. And then when it was over, it wasn't over. The effects were still hard in my life until I was about 33. It was like, can I possibly look up yet? And like when I was 33, I made, I had to make really big lifestyle choices to address my tummy troubles. And so yeah. that's why I really think 33 is that Christ consciousness year, because you have finally integrated the lessons of the Saturn return and you're like moving through it. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. I won't say like yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's a lot absolutely. of exceptionalism. Like I know I'm telling Pisces, figure out who you are and do it on purpose, which is far easier <laughs> said than done. It is agonizing to decide when you're Pisces or have any mutable energy, like making the right like I mean, Virgo's also mutable. So like making the wrong decision is agonizing for me because like I yeah. just I want to get it right, but it, I can see all these possibilities and Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that. Oh, what no. were you say? It, I want to know what you were going to say, and then I'm going to switch, uh, switch our points that we're looking at. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and also like speaking as someone who personally struggles with the Piscean struggle and knows it very well, also holding space for the bountiful nature of who you are and who you can be. And 
and allowing that possibility to exist and accepting the many versions of yourself that exist. Like for me as someone who's very fixed, like I'm a Taurus sun rising, Leo moon, I have a ton of Scorpionic Pluto stuff happening, Aquarius stuff happening, like very fixed. And my Piscean, my Pisces placements are very confusing to that fixed part of me that wants definition and clarity and black and white answers. And so for me, kind of like opening up to the multitude of who I can be can be really healing. And I have to keep it in check because I can easily, people please, I can easily get sucked into the sort of struggle of of feeling completely unmoored. And so it's like everything in moderation, including moderation. Amen. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to bring up um, in our discussion is that he was having, um, it's not a nodal return. It's the halfway nodal, right? So like the nodes of the moon, like your North node is where the node of the moon was when you were born. So his uh, North node is in Taurus. It's like your life path. Uh, Your South node is the mastery that you come in from with other lifetimes. Right. And then the halfway thing where now the north node of the moon at his time of exit was uh in scorpio and the south node of the moon is in taurus so does that what is that called and like how does that necessarily how does that affect your energy yeah so it's called the nodal opposition and it's when they're basically swip swapped and exactly like you said So the North node was transiting Scorpio, which is where his South node is. And it hadn't yet passed, like the exact opposition had not yet happened at the time of his death. Um, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm right. (laughs) Um, Because the the nodes move in the opposite Opposite, direction. And, And they're not actual like objects in space. They're just like points that we calculate. Um, but so the North node had not yet crossed over, but what can happen during a nodal opposition is that we're confronted with the ways that we have not integrated our South node material and the ways that we have not like learned to learned about reached toward or progressed toward grown toward our North node. And so it can bring up a lot of what feel like fateful experiences And the nodes are also called the nodes of fate. That's another word for them. And so we often, significant life events often happen when our nodes are activated. It can be turning points in our life where we're invited to create change, similar to what you described with the Saturn return, where it's like a call and an invitation to make different choices. And so we'll often see like echoes from the past. People might come back around or we might meet new people who seem to embody the same energy or have very like eerily similar experiences. And the nodes take about 18 years um, to go all the way around the Zodiac. And so we experience like these repeat performances as they form different angles to our natal nodes. And it can be very powerful. Jupiter was on his south node, like very, very close and had recently crossed over his south node at the time of his death. So a lot of like, oof, probably like extreme attention, a sort of like little blow up moment that happened around that south node material around second house stuff. 
What a gift he was. I'm grateful for even his short life period. Had a huge impact on me, just being in the, being on MTV. I mean, that was my access to pop culture when I was a, a wee middle schooler and yeah really obsessed with like all things Seattle grunge scene um, yeah which Courtney said in that interview I was listening to that it could have been called the crusty scene <laughs> I feel <laughs> I feel it would have had a different uh, nomenclature in the uh or it would have had a different experience in the popular culture if it had been called crusty not grunge but yeah that's for sure yeah, yeah. Crusty feels very Virgo to me for some reason. <laughs> I, that sounds about right. I mean, it is a little bit of a crusty <laughs> shell um, to get into a Virgo. Um, any other final thoughts on Kurt Donald Cobain's chart? Oh, I mean, this is sort of like an infinite well. So there's so much <laughs> I can't that could be explored here. <laughs> what I just can't believe how long we've been talking about it I'm like we could ever <laughs> yeah uh, I mean we could endlessly explore this chart there's so much to you know to look into but I think like I I just kind of want to give like an energetic hug to him and yeah. to anyone and everyone who who resonates with his life and his struggles and I think like people like Kurt Cobain often bless us with compassion in ways that we may not have otherwise experienced it or learned about it. Um, just like everyone else, he caused a lot of problems for people. He got into a lot of mischief and he was a really beautiful soul who carried so much pain. And so I think like he never wanted to be kind of a symbol of something, but if maybe he were to be a symbol of something, I think the energy of compassion is, is a beautiful one. So sending him love. Yes. Mad compassion in the other world and grateful for his grateful for his art, which will live forever. Yeah. And just love it. And if you want a deep dive on your chart, uh, you can hit up Jana. Wait, why don't you, can we get you to stop sharing? Sure. Okay. I just want to see you for this last little bit. Um, if you want to deep dive on your chart, you can book a chart reading with Jana and, uh, have her deeply nerd out on all of your squares and trines and con mutual receptions and yeah, I would love that. It is my joy and my passion. So you can find all my services in the LinkedIn. Yay. And also just a reminder about those uh, year ahead forecasts. This is a great time actually with Mercury in retrograde and um, moving into, oh, I I've never been excited about a Mercury retrograde before today, before now because like I love Mercury and Sagittarius so much and I didn't I don't feel like I enjoyed it enough while we had it uh just yeah ago. it felt fast it was very fast and now I'm excited to have Mercury and Sagittarius coming through during Capricorn season which I'm a Capricorn mm -hmm. son with a Mercury and Sagittarius which is why I'm so funny and interesting and I'm not like most other Capricorns you know <laughs> and um and also with my Scorpio moon I'm just so deep um but 
uh, I love the Capricorn, like, you know, boss babe energy with the clown energy of Mercury and Sagittarius. So I'm excited yeah. to see. And also just a reminder during Mercury retrograde, we look for serendipitous surprises. Uh, that's yes. always the benefit of Mercury and retrograde is the shit you can't plan. Um, it's a quarterly yep. reminder to us. You can't plan everything, but you just got to kind of go with the flow. Divine detours for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thank you so much, Jana, for your wisdom and your friendship and uh, sharing with everyone. And I hope you all go on a deep dive of ghost boyfriend, Kurt Cobain's Pisces artwork and um, give yourself a good cry and a stomp in the forest. Hell yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I love you. I love you.